Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. We're going to dive into the book of Matthew yet again. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Now, I have like 40 disclaimers i got to give you before we dive in, all right? So how, well, I won't ask the question. Um, if you are new to church or to Jesus or to the Bible, this is going to be really painful this morning. And here's the reason. We're going to dive into some really confusing stuff. And if you're new to this whole conversation, there's some background that's required, and, and you may be going, I just don't understand what you're talking about. You may be here and be very old to the Bible and very old to church and still go, I have no idea what we're talking about. Either way is totally fine, but I want to tell you why we're going to do what we're going to do this morning before we even do it. Number one, here's what we believe about the Bible. Anybody can open this book and benefit. You don't have to know the original languages. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't ever have to have stepped foot in a church. This book, in its most important points, is as clear as anything could be. We also believe, because uh, God ultimately is the author of this thing, that you can give your entire life over to it and never reach the bottom of it. So we want to be a community that says each and every person here who intends on either learning about or following Jesus should be immersed in the scriptures. But we also want to take time when we gather, this is our staff meeting, right? So the ministers, the priests, the ambassadors of our church are us. And what we do is we want to to look at the whole scriptures, even the parts that are really hard to understand. We We are all fans of the warm and fuzzy Jesus. There is, though... Parts to the ministry and life of Jesus of Nazareth that are just confusing, and we're going to spend some time in one of those parts today. I want to let you know for about 20 minutes, we're going to be off in the hinterlands of uh, exegesis, and you're just going to be going, really? Uh, I want to just know how to get married. And this will not help that at all. (laughs) However, however, there is relevance coming, so if you'll stick with me, And I'll try to recap a lot as we go through it. If you stick with me, there's a payoff at the end, all right? So Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at one, really one of the most pivotal days in the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Obviously, the day that he died for the sins of the world was a big day. And obviously, the day that he rose again from the dead was a big day. Probably the third most significant day after those two is the day we're going to look at. Because this is the day at least as as Matthew has it, this is the day that the religious leadership of Jesus, or or, of Israel in the time of Jesus, hardens themselves against Jesus. And Jesus then begins to minister differently from this day that he is uh, really officially rejected. Now, one last part of of the deal before we dive in. The Bible, um, there is a whole way of looking at the world that Jesus assumes And uh, as we uh, wrestled 2,000 years later with some of these texts, you know, we can very easily come to the conclusion, hey, we're scientific, we're modern, what we read in the scriptures is unscientific and pre-modern, and it just, there's no way it could happen that way. Jesus comes for lots of different reasons. He comes to reconcile us to the Father. He comes to show us what God is like. But he also comes to show us about what reality is like. He is the official representative of truth. 
And so if you want to know what reality is like, you look at how Jesus saw the world. And Jesus saw the world as divided into two realms. One realm is the physical world that we can see and sense and touch. But then equally as real is the spiritual, invisible realm that's all around us. And it's called the heavens, or the heavenlies in the scriptures. It's literally, and there were levels of, of the heavens. There was the heavens that was just right around us, kind of the air that we breathe and the space. Uh, and then there was the sky, they called it the firmament. And then there were the highest heavens. So sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll read about God, yours, you belong to the highest heavens and the earth you've given to man. I mean, there's this, there was this sense that, that reality was divided into two parts, a physical part and an invisible part. And both are real. And they can intersect at times. And this invisible part, this invisible realm, was populated by spiritual beings. Angels and demons is what they're called in the scriptures. Whenever you bring up demons, you have two typical responses in the Christian community, right? One response is demons are behind every bad thing that ever happens to people. And so if I, if I had indigestion last night, it's spiritual attack. Like, I didn't get a part. Somebody cut me off in a parking garage, hypothetically, and that was sort of, you know, that was of the enemy, and I got to cast out the demon of, dri of, of aggressive driving. I mean, you know, some people get really weird and kind of freaky about all of that stuff. So most of us go to the other extreme and pretend like none of it's real. And so Jesus tells us about a world that existed 2,000 years ago, but it's a world that doesn't exist today, so we think. Jesus comes. And he comes proclaiming the reign and good rule of God. And what he does is as that takes place, he begins to cast demons out of people. Now, we can have a whole other conversation about what that is and what that means later. But the source of the conflict today that we're going to read about is, is an exorcism that Jesus does that the religious leaders oppose. And I just want to set up that conversation by saying, hey, if you're new to the Bible and you're like, I'm not so sure about all of this, that's totally fair. And there are great questions we could spend our time answering and wrestling with. But Jesus is going to assume that way of looking at the world, that there is a cosmic war going on around us between a kingdom called the kingdom of God and a kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. And that these are not equal kingdoms but they're opposite kingdoms. Meaning, the kingdom of God is for the truth and goodness and beauty of God. And the kingdom of darkness is opposed to all of that. And that literally, this battle rages around us, whether we see it or not. Now, with all of those disclaimers in view, thus begins the 20 minutes. Maybe you're thinking, I, thought that, I was hoping the 20 minutes had already started. No! Matthew chapter 12. That was all background just to get to the 20 minutes. Matthew chapter 12. It's a day like any other in the ministry of Jesus. He's just casting out demons. It's no big deal. It's just what you do when you're the Messiah of Israel. And uh, on this particular instance, Matthew 12 verse 22. They brought Jesus... A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? That's a very Jewish way of asking, could this be the Messiah? How do you like my little stool? I, just, I feel more scholarly when I'm sitting down, and less like Matt, the motivational speaker from Chris Farley fame. 
So Jesus casts out a demon, and all the people are amazed and think, hey, this is, this, like, we're thinking this is the Messiah. So the Pharisees, who are a religious party in ancient Israel, who represented the religious establishment, but the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, or as you have it on, uh, on the screen, Beelzebub, and there are two different ways to say it. It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. In other words, the miracle that Jesus had just performed wasn't actually energized by God. It was actually something Satan himself did. Now, is that a compliment? If you're the Messiah? Not so much. In fact, what they're accusing Jesus of is practicing sorcery and witchcraft, which in the uh, in, in the first century in Israel was publishable by stoning, by being put to death. So they couldn't deny that something miraculous had happened. So instead, they say, what you just saw, everybody who's amazed and thinks this is so big, Messiah, what you just saw was actually Satan doing this to himself. Now Jesus doesn't take very kindly. He says he knew their thoughts, and he's going to give three arguments. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, and if you don't recognize, Satan is, uh, it is a title, it's not a name. It just means the adversary or the accuser. In fact, in, in the original language, it's the Satan. He's not, he's, he's a, just a finite being, but he, he is called by what he does. He doesn't have an official name. So he accuses, he tempts, he opposes. So that's his title. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by this prince of demons, then by whom do your people drive them out too? You've got exorcists too. So if you're telling me I cast them out by demons, then maybe you do too. But, verse 28, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? How many of you are lost right now? <laughs> yes. Now, one of the horrible ways Americans read the Bible is we usually take one paragraph at a time. All I want is my one-minute little devotional for the day, and then I'm good. That's a, a really horrible... It's better not to read it than to read it that way. Can I say that? Like pretty boldly because the worst thing you should be doing is ripping isolated verses out of context and trying to figure out what they mean to you the best thing you can do is read it the way it was meant to be read as one story now that doesn't mean you have to read a whole book at a time but you just can't take a sentence here or a paragraph here and think you got it so what one of the things i want to do this morning is show you how a whole bunch of seemingly random jesus stuff fits together and I want you to see how it, it, it leads to a point that I think will be pretty relevant for us. But, Jesus does this miracle. The Pharisees say, ah, it's by, it's by darkness that Jesus does these things. He's a false messiah. He's a sorcerer. Jesus, not very happy, offers three arguments in rebuttal. Argument number one, there is no such thing as a civil war in hell. Satan will never undo his own work. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. And secondly... That sword you're swinging at me cuts both ways. If you're accusing my exorcisms of being energized by darkness, how do you know that yours aren't too? And thirdly, 
It's in fact the very opposite of what you're suggesting because if I cast out demons, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is drawing near to you. In fact, it's like this. If I were going to rob a man and I was going to plunder his possessions, but suppose he had a guard guarding his possessions, what's the first thing I have to take care of before I rob him? The guard, right? That's, Jesus is saying, what I'm doing. Goodbye, young one. Now, Dad, why are you giving the kid up? Why don't you take the kid out? Because it's a diaper, a dirty diaper. Who, who will scholarship this man to the men's retreat? Who? Oh, yes, yes. I'm sure you do your part. Just not publicly and not right now. Now... <laughs> so Jesus says, hey, what I'm doing is I'm actually, every time you see me cast a demon out of somebody, I'm actually binding the guard of this world so that I can plunder his possession, so I can plunder his kingdom. Are you with me on this? Does it make a little more sense? Then it gets worse. Verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Mm. Anyone lost? Yep, me too. Now, Jesus casts out a demon. They say, dude, it's you're using Satan's power to cast out demons. Jesus said, that's so ridiculous. Satan would never undo his own work. Secondly, that sword cuts both ways. So how do you know your own exorcists aren't using the same power? And then thirdly, it's actually the Spirit of God that's doing this. So that's his defense. Now he goes on the offensive. And he says, listen, the Son of Man is a way of referring to himself. You guys will say all sorts of slanderous things against me. They will call him a drunkard and a glutton. They will call him a demon-possessed and a Samaritan. His own family will insist that he's insane. He'll be insulted lots. He says, all that can be forgiven. But for you, Pharisees, who are so hardened against the obvious work of the Holy Spirit through me, you cannot receive forgiveness. Not because God won't forgive you, but because you've hardened yourself to the place where you've cut yourself off from the only channel of forgiveness open to you. Jesus isn't saying, oh, guys, you've hit the big one. God can't do that. My work isn't big enough to cover this. He doesn't say that at all. What he's saying is think about the hardness of heart required to see Jesus of Nazareth and to see obviously Great things happen, and to be so hardened against him that you would rather give Satan credit for it. That is the hardness of heart that simply will never ask for forgiveness. That's what Jesus is referring to. So in Christian circles, if you're new to church, everyone worries that they've committed the unforgivable sin. If you've worried you've committed it, you haven't. Because if you had, you would never worry about committing it. Because this is about a condition of heart. Okay? Jesus forgives everything, except the people who don't want his forgiveness, who don't receive it, who are so hardened and willful against him that they simply cut off the only channel of forgiveness open. 
Make sense? Now, just when you think we've survived the worst, verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You children of snakes, that's never a good thing. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the... For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Just pause over that line for a second. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Yikes. A good man brings good things out of the good stored, stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, let's rewind. Jesus is just walking along. They bring him a demon-possessed dude. Jesus casts out the demon, heals the dude. The Pharisees are so opposed to him, they say, this fellow, the only reason he can do that isn't because he's Messiah, but in fact energized by the powers of darkness. Jesus says that's idiotic. Number one, Satan would never undo his own work. Number two, that sword cuts both ways, and, who, and who's to say your own exorcists don't use the same power? And number three, you've got it exactly, precisely the reverse. You've got it exactly, precisely the reverse. Eh, I'll redo that one later. You've got it wrong. It's the exact opposite thing that's happening. Right? It's, the, it's the Holy Spirit that is doing this. In fact, think about it. If I'm to here to plunder Satan's kingdom, the first thing I'm going to do is tie up him. So what you're seeing is him bound so I can plunder his kingdom and bring redemption and rescue. He said, in fact, your opposition to me shows a hardness of heart that puts you outside the realm of repentance so that you will never receive the forgiveness God has for you. And your words... Spoken against me are fruit from a bad tree. The outward fruit always shows the inner nature of something. So if the fruit is good, the tree is good. If the fruit is bad, the tree is bad. Look at the fruit, Jesus is saying, of my ministry. Healing, salvation, rescue, redemption. Look at the fruit of the Pharisees' ministry. Falsehood, slander, lies. He says, the reason they speak against me is because they themselves are evil and their own words will condemn them. Are you tracking? Just when we think it couldn't get worse. The Pharisees, verse 38. They said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So they've just accused him of being an agent of Satan. And then they say, We'd like to see you do a miracle that would convince us you're really the Messiah. How many of you would love to see Jesus overwhelm you with evidence so that you would, so no faith would ever be required? Right? I'm, I'm that guy. I love it. Does Jesus play that game? Not one time. Not once. So he doesn't respond very favorably to this request from the people that just called him an agent of Satan to do something miraculous. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. In other words, you're unfaithful and you're rebellious. I will not give you a sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I'm going to read this whole section, and then we're going to be lost together, and then we'll bring clarity. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. How many lost? Yep. Okay, now, Jesus, this is the same day, the same conversation. They say, we want a sign. And Jesus says, forget it. I'll give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Now, for those of you that are new to the Bible, Jonah, you may have even heard this part because VeggieTales, you know, says it so compellingly. (laughs) The old Bible story of Jonah and the whale. Okay, so Jonah is a prophet, very Jewish prophet, who was called by God to go to a very pagan city called Nineveh. Being a representative of God, he did not want to share God's blessing with other people. I'm glad that doesn't happen today. So he didn't want to go to the pagan city, so he gets on a ship going the opposite direction. God creates a storm, gets Jonah off the ship, has a whale swallow him up. Now, I'm cool. I, we're so scientific. But if you believe God created everything, and if you believe God rose Jesus from the dead, and if you believe Jesus was born of a virgin, then I'm, I'm open to the idea that God could somehow pull this off. Can I get an amen on that? And Jesus seems to refer to it as it really happened, because he's forecasting something that will really happen, using it as an example. So, okay, I'll buy it. Jesus says, in the same way that Jonah escaped death by three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and shows up at Nineveh and preaches about God. In that same way, I will spend three days and three nights dead, buried in the heart of the earth, and then I will appear again. And so Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is the resurrection. But even that will not lead to your repentance. He said, because at least with Jonah, who was a, a much lesser prophet, the Ninevites, they repented. Or take Solomon, who was a great king, but not the king of kings. People came from all over the place to listen to his teaching. So, he's saying to his Jewish contemporaries, it's not only that you've rejected me and you'll miss the blessing, it's that the Gentile nations, the pagan nations, the non-Jewish nations that listen to teaching of much lesser prophets will actually be part of the judgment against you. Because I, he will say, am the full revelation of the Father and you rejected what is so clear. And people that responded to much less clear revelation will actually stand up at the judgment and condemn you. Is Jesus in a good mood this day? (laughs) Just when you think it couldn't get any worse. Verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits that are more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this generation. Who's lost? All right. I like that fewer and fewer people are even playing with me. All right, this is my tiny way of trying to break up the monotony of this thick stuff and none of you are having anything to do with it now jesus here is not giving a lesson on demonology 
Because if he were giving a lesson, then you should never cast demons out of people because then more would come in, right? Obviously not saying that. He's offering an illustration to his Jewish contemporaries. Let's rewind. It's an ordinary day. It's a sunny day in Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, breaks some Sabbath rules, gets into a bit of trouble. They bring to him somebody who's demon-possessed. I will cast out the demons, Jesus says. But then they say, the religious leaders, this fellow really isn't Messiah. This fellow is actually an agent of Satan. And Jesus goes, this is, you guys are ridiculous. Satan would never undo his own work, number one. Number two, that sword cuts both ways, and who knows who is energizing your exorcist then. Number three, you've got it exactly wrong because it's the Spirit of God that's come to set people free. This is the best part. I'm telling you, this right here, guys, the summary. I mean, you're... I know, I know. But it's nice that you're both going out with the little child. All right, where was I? You got it exactly wrong. It's actually the, the spirit of God. It's like if I'm trying to plunder the house of a bad man who's got a guard, I got to take care of the guard first. So what you're seeing is actually me tying up the guard so I can plunder his kingdom and rescue people out of slavery and out of sin. And he said, you people, your opposition to me is reached the place where it renders you unforgivable, not because God wouldn't, but because you won't. You'd never ask. You're so hardened against me. Literally, you're blaspheming the Spirit by attributing the Spirit's work to the enemy. That's how far away you are. And he said, those words you say against me, it's just representative of the evil that's in your own hearts, and those words will condemn you. Well, then give us a sign, they say to Jesus. I'm not going to give you a sign. You're just like your ancestors, wicked and adulterous and unfaithful. The only sign you're going to receive is the sign that the Ninevites got, the sign of Jonah, somebody who was supposed to have died coming and preaching to them. That is the sign I'll give you, that in the same way Jonah was in the belly of a fish, I will be in the belly of the earth, and then three days later, I will come. But even then, you will not buy it. And so instead, the people that repented to much lesser prophets, those people will stand up and judge this generation of Israel at the last days. In fact, your condition is like the condition of a house. Often in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called the house of Israel. When John the Baptist came, he called the nation to repentance. And it's like a superficial cleaning that goes on in a house. Things were put into order. Things were swept clean. You said you were prepared for Messiah. But now that the Messiah is here... And though the Messiah doesn't match up with what you thought the Messiah was going to be like, your rejection of me means that house now stands empty and you are liable to be reoccupied by even greater evil than was here before. In other words, your pseudo-repentance and preparation for me has actually, if you don't receive me fully, has actually made room for the nation to be even more dark than it would have been otherwise. Do you see this? You tracking with me? Now, if you're new to the Bible, holy moly, come back. Next week, we'll talk about dating or like weight loss or, you know, something. I don't know. We'll talk about something practical. But you have to understand, this gets practical, by the way, in just a little bit. But you have to understand, there is something we, people that read these passages just think it's a whole lot of mumble jumble just kind of put together. This is actually really devastatingly profound. 
Because what Jesus has seen is that there is hardness to him to such a degree they will not accept him no matter what he does. And he says, it would have been better had you not even pretended to repent under John the Baptist than it will be now. Your condition will be worse off because you prepared for Messiah but didn't receive him. And so the house of Israel will not remain unoccupied and greater evil will fill it. Okay. Just when you think it couldn't get more complicated, Jesus begins to do something that he hadn't done up till this point in the book of Matthew. Jesus now begins to speak in something called parables. Now, Jesus had used imagery and allusions and metaphors all throughout his teaching, but his teaching had been really, really clear to this point. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Blessed are the poor, blessed are... I mean, it has been clear. It's been very straightforward. Now, Jesus starts using parables. The word parable means to set alongside. So, if I want to talk about something that's hard to understand, I use something that's easy to understand. So Jesus will say, thing like, say, say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. I understand treasure hidden in a field, but the kingdom of heaven is something I don't understand. And so he'll set something you understand next to something you don't understand. But it takes a bit of work to figure this stuff out. So Jesus, right after this, begins to talk to the crowd in parables. And you have to understand, he's doing it specifically because he's been rejected. So he tells a story. He says, I'm like a farmer scattering seed throughout Israel with my preaching. And you guys know in Israel there are four kinds of soil, right? There are the rocky places where the seed is just going to sit there and be snatched away. There's the shallow soil where something could take root, but it's not very deep, and and if anything bad happens, it's gone. There's the soil that seems really fruitful, but it actually gets choked out by other plants. And then there's the soil that is absolutely fertile and grows a crop that's very, very extravagant. And then Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. Mm. Now, the disciples asked Jesus, chapter 13, verse 10, why do you speak in parables now? Right? Before, it was pretty clear. Now, why are you doing this sower and soil stuff? Jesus says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, not to the crowds. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have will be taken from them. Now, we'll talk about this in just a second. This is why I speak to them in parables, and he quotes Psalm, I think it's 78. Those seeing, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, or if you put those together, searing. <laughs> though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear. (laughs) They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. Now, this is what this means. I know this is hard work, guys. Stick with me just for a couple more minutes, all right? Like you have a choice, I guess. On this day, 
that all of this goes down, Jesus changes the way he's going to relate to Israel. He begins to speak in parables, and it's very confusing to his disciples. So they say, why are you doing this? Jesus said, it's like in Isaiah, when Isaiah was called to preach to the rebellious nation. They heard his words, but they didn't obey them. So they didn't really hear them. They saw his ministry, but they didn't obey. And so they didn't really see it. They were aware of what he was doing, but they didn't obey. And so they didn't perceive it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, disciples, you who have taken however tiny a step towards me in obedience, more will be given to you. But those who've hardened themselves against me, I will no longer teach directly so that their response to my teaching is less about my teaching and more about the condition of their hearts. Are you following me on this? Now, why does this matter? (laughs) I mean, it doesn't have to. It could just be enough to say, hey, isn't it fascinating the Bible's one story and here's a whole bunch of random teaching that we think is separate but actually fits together? And can you see how if you just pull it out on just paragraph chunks, you're going to misunderstand some of this stuff? Of course. But I think there's a bigger point. This whole section is a section about the perils of sustained rejection of Jesus. So Saturday night, we have a Saturday night service that meets at 5 o'clock. It's got a few more seats, and I don't have to dress up as much, which I, so I like it. Usually, I usually go shirtless. And, and female attendance is very high on that. I don't know why. Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. So after, at this part in the whole sermon, I said, hey, what do you guys think? Like, what do you hear in this? And they were bouncing around with all kinds of stuff. One young lady, right in this section, so I have high hopes for this section right here. One young lady said, it seems like the best way to harden yourself against Jesus is to hear his teaching and never do anything about it. And that is the point. What is the best way to hide from God? By being religious. The religious people were the ones that missed Jesus. Because they were convinced of their own sufficiency and goodness apart from him. Who were the people that flocked to him? The people that knew their life was a mess. The prostitutes. The tax collectors. The corrupt. The unjust. The oppressed. The oppressors. I mean... Jesus will look at the religious leaders at one point in his ministry and go, hey, do you guys realize the prostitutes and tax collectors are getting in the kingdom ahead of you? The worst way to hide from God is by giving yourself over to rebellion. Like, if you really want to make a mess of your life, Jesus becomes very, very clear. If you want to harden yourself to Jesus, then make sure you continually reject his advances. Because what happens is, and I don't mean, and understand, I'm speaking a little colloquially. I don't mean, hey, if you want to go find Jesus, go rebel. I don't mean that. I mean the people that live without any assumption of their own goodness have an easier time 
understanding the work and ministry and person of Jesus than people who are convinced they're good and just need a few tweaks. And our churches are filled with people who hear the words of Jesus and do nothing about them. Do you understand you have to harden yourself against them a little bit every time? Do you understand that? See, Jesus isn't looking for performers. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for hearts that are open. That's why the first parable he tells talks about four different kinds of hearts. Hearts that are hard, hearts that are shallow, hearts that are distracted, or hearts that are open. And the invitation is to be a heart that's open. And for us, 2,000 years later, our churches are filled with people who think that following Jesus means having his teaching wash over us and then doing what we want. And we, a passage like this, would say that kind of hardening to be able to sit and receive and hear his teaching and yet not do it. You have to harden yourself a little bit every time that happens. And Jesus just very simply says, it is quite possible that you can harden yourself into the kind of person who would never want forgiveness. Does that seem relevant to you? Absolutely, it's relevant to me. And I wish I were just one of those soils. I look at my life and I see all four. And I'm sure there's one that's predominant, and that's how Jesus means it. Like, you're either one or two or three or four, but I see some of all of them in me. Some is, some, my heart's really open. But then there are other places where, Jesus, you can't have this. And I have to harden myself against this teaching, right? This is my precious over here. <laughs> this is the thing I just won't, some of you are going, What? Jesus speaks most clearly through science fiction. Would you agree? <laughs> or fantasy? So, so you and I, a lot of us are in danger of, of what Jesus is talking about here because we walk around and it's like, well, yeah, I'm kind of open on the things I want to be open about, but then on the things I don't want to be open about, I have to harden myself against him over and over and over and over and we think that's following him. And so this morning, I just want to take a, a couple of moments just to ask the question, so where's your heart open and where's your heart hard? Because if you're like me, there's some of both. And if you're new to the Jesus conversation, there are a couple of huge things in here for you. One is, it is possible to reject his advances. Absolutely. Absolutely. He will never force himself on anybody. He doesn't coerce. He doesn't manipulate. He lets people walk away. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it is possible to come, sit, and say, nope, don't buy it. And that's okay. You're still loved. Forgiveness is still there, but you harden yourself a little bit the opposite direction so that you progressively grow into the kind of person who never wanted it to begin with. But for those of us that have said yes to him, there's a very real danger in just pretending to repent, in just pseudo getting cleaned up. Because Jesus is interested in hearts that are fully open and not just those that pretend. So uh, would you stand up with me?
I know you've been, you've been very patient. Some of you were waking up for the first time in 40 minutes. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, just do this. Stretch out a little bit. Okay, yep, yep. All right, now close your eyes. We're going to get spiritual. I just want to give us a couple of moments of quiet. And would you go before the Lord, and I don't know how this hits you, but would you go before the Lord and would you ask him, God, would you show me the parts of my heart that are hardened towards you? And see what he says. See if there's something that doesn't immediately come to mind. And if something does come to mind, would you bring it before him and ask him to unnumb, to thaw out, to take a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh in that part? Would you ask him for the grace to give that part to him? And to open up your heart for what he would have. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.